Doesn't this feel right? I mean, this right here, what we're doing, there is no law against this. There's no guilt that's going to come against our conscience to say we shouldn't do this. Worshiping Christ and exalting him to the place he belongs. It's the right thing. There's something welling up in our hearts that say this is it. What you were made for. You're singing and connected to the one who made you, who sustains you, who keeps your heart beating. But I know some of us this morning may coming in, we're stressed Maybe singing a song like this, we feel unworthy. Maybe, maybe, maybe wanting to just shrink back in fear, saying, I'm feeling so exposed right now. I'm so acquainted with my weakness, so acquainted with the accusations of the enemy. Didn't we just sing that his victory is coming and the enemy's going to be running for the hills because his accusations have no power over us anymore? Hey, tell us something we don't know. We're weak. We're sinners. We don't do what we're supposed to do. That's why the Savior came and died for us and secured a redemption that cannot be taken away. So we come together this morning to lift our hands and sing to the one who's worthy. Don't listen to his lies. There's mercy for you already. Covering what what happened yesterday and the week before, you renew your heart and you sing to the one who's worthy. And you pray to the one who's worthy, which is what we're going to do. Pray with me. Father, you are good. Father, the good gifts that you bring, even music, worship, though there's so many examples of the gift and the creation of music being used against you and being twisted. God, when our hearts are worshiping you and the music is reminding us who you are, connecting our emotions with with what's real. God, it is so powerful and it's exactly what I needed this morning so weak, so weak, so easily distracted, so easily entertained by things that do not matter. God, forgive us. Give us a new and right spirit. Renew that within us this morning. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your word, which brings life. So much death around us. Be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there's a a type of movie that when you watch it, it immediately creates within the first few seconds of the movie, it creates the question, why? I mean, you you know what movies I'm talking about. It's the movie where the main character or the the screen kind of fades in and and you're introduced to a character who's in a position where maybe they're trapped. Maybe they're waking up after being passed out and they find themselves in a room or in a situation and they have no idea where they are. And we as the viewer are tuning in and experiencing the same curiosity of coordinates that this person is as well. How, how did I get here? What, what is going on here? What are, what are these, these things in this scenario and these objects all around us? What is all of this? How in the world that I get here. And immediately that, that movie does exactly what it's supposed to do. It wants to get us asking the question, why? It wants to get us curious. It wants to get us in the mind of the person who's experiencing that. And then throughout the movie, the truth is being revealed. Very similar to being born into this world and growing up 
and looking out into the world, you, you become aware of what's around you. And very quickly, the word why starts to come from deep within. Why, why is the world this way? Why, why are we on this, this round rock that's suspended in the vacuum of space and nothing out in the middle of seemingly nowhere? Why are we here? How did we get here? What is going on? Why in the world is the world the way it is? Why do I feel shame when I'm naked? Why do I want to cover my body up? Why is there so much evil? Why are people killing each other all the time? Why is it throughout all of human history, there's wars and wars and rumors of wars, constant instability? Why is within my heart this, this longing for something more? Why does there seem to be this understanding that things used to be better when all I've ever experienced is the way the life is now? Why do I have this picture in my heart of a utopia? Why do I have this longing for an Eden? Why do I have this sense that maybe we had an Eden and we lost it? Why do I have such an understanding of what's right and wrong? Why? 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 It's kind of the question that we've been looking at. How did we get here? We've been looking at the more physical answer, haven't we? Like the God created everything. But now we come to chapter three and we see the moment that our parents fell. We see the moment of the fall and we begin to see the door of Eden on the outside cracked open as darkness is beginning to be let in. And what's going to happen after this is gonna introduce our first parents to the world that you and I are so well acquainted with. The world that we know oh so well. The, the world where people are creeping through the night, taking advantage of people, the world where someone and someone else can join together under a loving romantic covenant of marriage and then in a matter of time hate each other to the point where they are leaving one another, a, a, a world where kids are running off out from under the tutelage and the understanding and the love of their parents and running off to everything that the world has to offer and giving themselves to whatever it may be in prodigal living. Where, where, a world where someone will turn to substances that they know that are literally killing themselves, but they will continue to indulge. Continue to indulge. A, a world where I know that my anger and my outbursts of wraths are not going to solve my issue, but yet I still give into it. A, a world where I know if my eyes look at that on the screen, I know that's committing adultery in the heart, and I know this will not satisfy me, but why do I keep doing this? You see, our experience in life is very much, very much relating to the question we have here. Constantly, maybe in the situation, we're wondering, why am I doing this? To the point where we'll go to professionals. Please tell me why I feel this way, why I think this way, why I'm doing this. There's a, such, an, such an understanding within our heart that something's wrong. And, and we feel that way when we give ourselves over to the very things we want. And then we begin to feel something's wrong. I'm using an extreme example. Watching the interview of the Iceman, if you've ever seen that, it's a, one of the most notorious serial killers who killed hundreds of people, worked for the mob, was a contract killer, and he finally gives himself over to a person who will come and interview him, and he says to that interviewer, I'm hoping you can give questions or give answers to the questions I have as to why I am the way I am. Everybody's wanting to know that. We come to Genesis chapter three, and we ask the question, 
How did we get here? Why is the world the way it is? Why do I do the things that I do? This is what we're seeing in Genesis chapter three. It's almost like a microscope of what happens in our heart every single day, every single day. Genesis chapter three, how did we get here? And today we're gonna look at verse six and we're gonna see the moment that we fell. How did we get here specifically where we go from the Garden of Eden? Remember that? Garden of Eden, the good life. So we come over here where there's death and there's a curse and there's pain and there's weeping and there's a struggle. Thousands of years later, we look back and we see it all happening at the beginning. How did we get here, the good life? Now, so far, from last week to right now, so far, we're still in the good life. Adam and Eve are still in the good life, but something, a, 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 a chain has already, has already begun. There's something that's already started with the serpent coming to Adam and Eve. And I want to recap and, and bring your mind and let's follow this process along as we figure out why we are the way we are and why we do the things we do and how we got here. The first thing we saw last week is this idea of deception. How do you go from good to bad? How do you go from life to death? How do you go to where you're doing things you know you shouldn't? Things that will only hurt you, things that you know will hurt you, but you do it anyway. Well, we see here in Genesis chapter three that it started with deception. Read it with me if you would. I don't mean out loud, but follow along with me. Genesis three, chapter one, uh, chapter three, verse one. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Introduction to a character within the sword, a serpent who's very crafty, which means he's very wise, very smart, and he knows what he is doing. And he's coming with something. He's coming with deception. He's coming with the goal and the motivation of wanting to trick Adam and Eve into doing something that they shouldn't. Crafty. And he starts out with the question, did God actually say? The very first words of craftiness and trickiness come against the word of God. Did God actually say? And the woman said, verse two, to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And we see Eve becomes the first defender of the faith. Yes, she kind of gets the rule a little wrong, and that's important. But she does. She says, no, we can't. We can't. We can't even touch it. Well, God didn't say that. So she adds more to it, maybe a little foreshadowed to legalism there. Can't even touch it lest we die. Now, I, I want to really quick answer some of the questions, not, not answer, but I want to deal with the questions we naturally think. So some of the questions we get entertained with when we read through this scripture, like, hey, well, well was Adam there with her? Was he not? Well, why is the serpent talking? Is it, is it literally a snake with hands? Isn't that just a lizard? Like, what, like what, what is going on here? Well, 
the Bible is giving us the points that we actually need. I think sometimes we get this picture that all of this is happening within a, within a, a millisecond or within like a 30-second conversation, and it's boom, 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 boom. Those are fun questions to wrestle with, but we're not necessarily going to put all of our effort and energy into it. But we know this. We know that the serpent comes to the woman, and I believe that the man was not there with her at the moment. In a similar way, when a, a young man who's trying to date a girl avoids the dad as much as he can until it's too late and he has to talk to daddy about dating his daughter, right? Because he's the garter, he's the protector, he's the keeper. The serpent knew that, so he's gonna go to his wife because he knows he can get through the, to the keeper and to the, to the protector through the one whom he loves. And so he goes to the woman and has this conversation. Look what happens next. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see first coming this idea of deception with the goal to bring doubt into the mind of Eve. And that's exactly what is happening Deception's coming, trickery's coming, and doubt's being planted. Doubt about what? What is Eve doubting in this moment? What is he trying to get her to doubt? He's trying to get her to doubt what God has said. He's trying to get her to doubt what will actually satisfy her. He's trying to get her to doubt what is actually good. And he's trying to get her to doubt that God is in control. You can be in control. You can make your own decisions. You can be just like God just like God. Now, this brings us to where we're going to get today in verse six, and we're going to read it, and we're going to see the next few moments of the process. But I want to say this. As we go through this, no doubt every single one of us is going to be thinking about moments of our life where we're, we're too thinking about things that we get trapped in. Addictions, uh, lust passions, things like that. We're going to talk about all of that. But there is, a, there is something that happens deep within inside of us that will lead us to do the things that we do. And it's not so simple as we wake up one day and we want to do something and so we do it. Something is happening in our mind. There's something that's happening and we're kind of cluing into this here. Would you read verse six with me? The serpent comes, he casts doubt, he's bringing deception And then look what happens with Eve. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, humor me for a second. Again, I'm giving you my opinion. As I've studied through this and really thought through this, I I believe Adam is not there when this is happening. We're getting the snapshot of of what happened, the main details. But I want you to picture this. I want you to picture a conversation that the serpent has with her. And it doesn't necessarily mean that she has to instantly take it. This could have been a conversation that had. There could have been days that went by as she's thinking. She's thinking about this presentation that been brought to her, right? Because what happens in our heart when we have something presented to us that we know is wrong? We do one of two things. We either say, no, that's wrong. Or we begin to entertain the thought. 
right? And, and we all know the, the entertaining process of something wrong in our mind. We have to begin to start, we think about it. Well, maybe, maybe this was okay. This is okay. Oh, but he said it would make me wise. He said that I, I wouldn't die. And he said, I would just, I'd be just like God. I love God. He's awesome. He's, he's wonderful. I'd love to be just like him. Maybe this could have been a process very, very similar to the process that we have when we are drawn to something we know we shouldn't do. We have this presentation brought that happens in our mind. We don't immediately say, no, that's wrong. We begin to entertain it and we begin to have this debate in our heart and our mind about it. Could be, could be that's what happened. And then once she had been, she had been to the point where she was, she was able enough in her heart able enough and felt no longer the, the guilt and the barrier and the wall to not do that because she had worked herself up so much to where she wanted this so bad. She took it and ate it. And then she went and found Adam and gave him some and he ate. Now we know Adam's sin is not one of deception. Adam is unique in that he, it seems he knew what he was doing was wrong and he did it anyway, did it anyway. So what do we see happening here? Pay attention. There's this goal of deception that comes along. Doubt about what God has said has been planted and she begins to ruminate over. And then through this doubt that's in her heart and this rumination, something, something happens in her heart that's there that wasn't there before. And it's simply could be characterized as this word desire. Or the Bible talks about this word as the word passions. I think that's a great word to help us understand what, what desire is. It's this strong, strong inner longing for something. It's passionate. It literally makes our heart beat faster when we think about it, when we see it, when we think about having it and we, we see something and we want something, right? So there's this desire, this passion that has begun within here. How do I know that? Look at verse six again. Look what it says, the first two words, so when. See that? There's a process, which means there was a time where something started. There's something flipped in her mind, something flipped in her heart. So when the woman saw, ooh, the woman saw using her eyes. She's now looking at this tree that we don't know how long she had been ruminating over it. We don't know how long she'd been looking at it, but something flipped inside of her heart. Something that when she saw the tree, desire was there that wasn't there before. What did she see? What was happening in her heart? She says that she saw that the tree was good for food. That word good can also be translated beautiful. Right? Sometimes we think that this tree was like this magical tree that looks so brilliant that you couldn't help but to be attracted to it. It was in the midst of the garden. It was just, it was out there amongst the other trees. There's no reason to believe it wasn't like any other tree. And so she's looking at this tree and she's seeing it different now. Now, instead of seeing it as something that has this warning over it that will bring death, now she's looking at it. She's seeing the details. She's seeing the fruit and she's thinking like, oh, it's beautiful and it's good for food. I can eat that, right? I get hungry. That's, it's like the other trees. I can eat it. What else happens? So 
she sees it, it's good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes. How's that different? It's a little different because the first one's appeal to the uh, sensual pleasure of food. The second one's appealing to the sensual pleasure of sight, of seeing. It's a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Now, I don't want to read too much in this, but this seems to carry on a theme that we see from the New Testament when John tells us that there is things in the world that we have to be on the lookout for. John said, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, that's good for food. The desires of the eyes, it's a delight to the eyes. And the pride of life, desired to make one wise, is not from the Father, but is from the world. You can see this taking place in her heart. And this is what our temptations and our desires come down to. When we're tempted to do evil, you can trace it back to something, some type of desire of the flesh, passion of the flesh, something that will make me feel good, something that looks good and pulls me in, or something that makes me look better, makes me feel better, lifts me up above my peers makes me like God. Well, we don't think that way, but that's what's happening in our hearts in moments of life. When we're tempted to give ourselves to evil, it's appealing to certain uh, uh, emotional factors in our body that God has given us and they're being used against us. These things are not from the Father, but they're from the world. Now, let me give you another verse from the New Testament. I can't read Genesis chapter three without thinking about James chapter one. I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it. And I want you to pay attention to what James says is going on in the heart of a person when they actually do something that will kill them or lead to death. James says this, each person is tempted. And right before he said that, he said, God doesn't tempt anyone. Don't let anyone think that God is doing the tempted, but each person, each and every one of us is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. This idea of bait, like a fish hook, it's a trap that's being set and bait is there for you. And the bait, you use something that the thing likes or the thing wants, the fish wants this, so you use that to hook it. James is saying each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed, but listen to this, by his own desires, Try to be tempted by something you already don't like. It's not going to work very well. I'm sorry. Um, I I do not like like peas, like green peas. Like I don't like. I I try to eat them, and I I I, like like that just happens. I, I I don't make it happen. It just happens. And like so, if you're trying to tempt me. To like those, I'm not going to like them. I'm sorry. Like your temptation is not working. But if you tempt me with something that my heart already desires, something I have a passion, something that, something that I already like, something I already want, then I'm in trouble. And we're all in trouble. Why is, why is this important? Well, James says this, each person is tempted when he's lured enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived when that desire works in us the way it should, 
through temptation gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, James is helpful because we know at this point uh, in the story of her looking and desiring, it's not sin yet. It's not necessarily sin. Though Jesus did tell us in the New Testament that it is possible to sin with the mind. Though you have not physically done something, you can still in the mind do it and for you it'll be sin. Like looking on a woman with lust. Hating someone in your heart is akin to murder. Those types of things. But just because the temptation comes and the presentation comes and just because it's alluring doesn't mean that somehow we've faulted yet at that point. But when desire is able to work in us unchecked, when it's able to to be mingled with the doubt against what is actually good, it'll bring us to the point where we end up doing something that we know we shouldn't. And then sin is born and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And we know that that's true because like the other question that everyone on planet earth asks is why do we die? And why is there so much grief and such an unnatural feeling of death to all of us? It, it's, we're not meant to die. We were not created to die. Death is such a part of our life. That's all we've ever known. Yet we cannot adjust to it. Like it's just another part of life. Can we? We know something's wrong. Sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. Hey, listen, our parents, Adam and Eve, they chose to eat of the fruit that God said not to eat. They were tricked, but they made their own choice through their own desire and they ate and they, they expelled mankind out of the garden into a world that we now know that is full of pain, suffering, and misery. And all of that is a result of us getting what we want. How many times have you heard someone say, what's wrong with the world? Or how many times have you heard some people blame God for the way that the world is? But when I read this, I'm like, wait, wait, no, the way that God makes the world is good. And when man gets to do what man wants, what does it bring? Pain and misery. And then we blame God for our own pain and misery. People want to say, God doesn't exist. I don't want anything to do with him. But the moment life starts to hurt, they say, where are you? And God's like, wait, I was letting you do what you wanted to do. Thank goodness God doesn't leave us there, though, does he? He's with us every step of the way, enduring the evil of the world, the injustice of all the world, enduring it all. Because every single person in his eyes is precious and he loves every single one of us and he wants to give mankind an opportunity to repent and come back to a place of faith where the individual is saying, I now am trusting what God says. I'm not going to be led astray by my own heart. So desire creeped up into the heart of Eve, which led her to disobey, or as we say, sin or transgress, disobedience. The moment she took and ate, and then Adam takes and he eats is the moment that they sin. And we're going to find out next week what the result of that was within their body, what happened after that, but we're not talking about that today. They sinned. Now stop here. Let's look at, let's look at this. How many things do we see happening in the, in the heart? How many things do we see happening here before the disobedience happened? Talk, parents, any one of us, what do we deal with? We only focus on the disobedience, don't we? 
even in our own life when we're doing something wrong, all we focus on and we put all of our energy and effort in trying to stop the disobedience. How do we try to deal with it? That's wrong. Don't do that. You know what that's called? That's called the law. You know why God gave the law? To show us how we cannot get helped by it because God already gave the law and with the law in the garden, we still chose to do what we wanted and actually the law wells up within us all types of manner of evil thoughts and we end up doing the very things that we don't and shouldn't do all because the law said don't do it. My daughter's not in here. My two, my, uh, She's two, right? Two, three, three, sorry. <laughs> I would not say this if she were in here because I don't ever, I just, I don't, yeah, anyway, if she, were in, if she were in here, I wouldn't say it. Some of you have seen on Facebook, some of you have seen that my daughter has given herself her own haircut a few months ago and it was finally starting to grow back. She cut her hair like 20 different times and she looked Joe Exotic, just, it was bad. <laughs> Last, it was uh, two weeks ago, I literally sat down with her. I hadn't talked to her since then at all. I sat down with her with some fake play scissors and I literally was like, honey, let's talk about this. I was like, like we're not gonna cut our hair anymore, are we? No, we don't do that. No more, you learned your lesson. We're not, and I'm sitting there like, and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess what happens a day later? Sarah calls me up crying because she goes in with a pair of scissors, hides, and she cuts her hair. I'm talking, I mean, she cuts it down to the roots. I thought she cut off five layers of skin. Just the whole front of her head off. And you know what the first thought that came to my heart was? I was like, why in the world did I have that conversation with her? Everything was good until I brought the law back into it. You cannot deal with disobedience with a simple command. That's when when we're stuck in some type of addiction or some type of sin in our life that we know we shouldn't, but we still keep giving ourselves to it, the feeling of, I shouldn't do this and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna muster up enough strength and stop doing this doesn't work. That's not how you deal with it. That's not how God has dealt with sin. But that's where we wanna stay. You see, there's, there's a desire that's behind the disobedience. The sin is just a symptom of something greater. There's a desire for something, a want and a passion for something that we shouldn't want. So that desire, but, but the desire is being fed through a doubt that comes from the world. A doubt about what? A doubt that what God says is actually good. A doubt that God cannot satisfy you, that his word isn't good. Think about it. Think about what we're dealing with in the world. So many people are 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 making decisions that clearly go against this. Why, don't, why doesn't the world make decisions that clearly go in line with this? It's because our heart wants nothing to do with this. All the way back from our parents, you choose what's good. God's not good. You are good and you can make things good. And so we come here today, we're like, why in the world, why in the world would someone choose to take the baby that's within their womb, go into a clinic and have the thing ripped out of them and killed? Why would someone do that? Well, the person who's doing that, they're not thinking, I'm going to go be evil today. Something has happened in their heart where they've got to the point where they're convinced, I, I can do this. This is good. I'm going to make my choice. This is good. 
What do we see in the very beginning? God's creating man and he's creating woman and he's showing the beautiful nature of his creation within sexuality and within gender. And what do we see at war today? People want to make their own decision about how sex can be done in any other way and make their own decision about what type of gender they are. People don't just wake up and just say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to go against God and I'm going to do this. No, it's our hearts have desires that we want. And we conclude that they're good and that they're right. I'm going to use the extreme example. People want to like refer to Hitler as like the, the most evil guy. Like you, Hitler wasn't like, <laughs> yes, I am the mastermind of evil. You study Hitler, he believed what he was doing was right. You know what the scripture says? Scripture says in the book of Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This is why people need the gospel so, so badly. This is why we all need it because there is a way that seems right to us. We genuinely have become convinced in our heart that what we have and what we're seeking is good and it will satisfy me, and it will make me happy, and it will solve all the longings of the soul that I feel every single day when I wake up. So I'm going to keep drinking. So I'm going to keep pursuing this adulterous relationship. So I'm going to keep convincing myself that I need to be done with my spouse because we got married too young, or, or, they're, too, or they're not satisfying me, and this is a good thing. It's time for me to give myself to someone else. God would want me to be happy, right? And we do things like this all the time taking a hot iron to our conscience and searing it, letting nothing in and nothing out. Also, we can take of the fruit and eat because we see it, we long for it, we want it, and we do whatever we have to do in our mind to make it easier to take it. We do it all the time. This is what's happening to Eve. It's happening to Adam. This is what plunged the world into darkness. Peter says, beloved, I urge you. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I read that verse, I'm like, Peter, you are absolutely right. Because when I'm isolated with my own thoughts or even physically isolated, these passions that come up are way, I can tell they're, they're waging war against my soul and only leaving a sense of impending judgment coming upon me. But when we walk in the spirit, like Galatians says, and we bear the fruits of the spirit, we never feel bad about that, do we? It's because there's no law against that. Man, when we're living in self-control and gentleness and kindness and joy and peace and we're walking with the Spirit and we're loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and we're loving each other like ourselves, man. I don't go to bed at night feeling so overly condemned and convicted. We know what's right. We know what's right. But we trade eternal bliss, joy for eternity, Pleasures at the right hand of God forevermore. We trade that in for momentary pleasure. And when we give in to that pleasure and we sin, we're going to find out next week, it doesn't lead to joy and peace. Right? She was tricked. She thought, this is good. I'm going to take of this. We're going to eat this. This is good. It's going to be a great. What do we always experience when we convince ourselves to do the thing that we shouldn't? There is a miserable feeling left at the end of it. And the whole that was 
that was there in our heart that we could not fill only becomes bigger and there's a greater sense of emptiness. This is happening to people all the time. This is why people need the gospel because the gospel enters in and the gospel takes care and the gospel brings joy and the gospel brings forgiveness. The gospel leads to repentance and the gospel reminds us and shows us what is true and what will actually satisfy us. And the person who, who sees that and who believes it and lifts their hand up and say, God, would you save me? I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. Your ways are good, not mine. And the spirit quickens the soul of that person and brings them to life. Now their eyes are opened to what's actually good. A reopening, a rebirth, a new birth to where now you see clearly. But now let's talk about us right now. Those of us who have the spirit within us. Now there's a greater turmoil in some ways, right? Because now you're still in this body. The body of death that Paul said. The body's not bad, but within the body, within the flesh are still these passions that are still there. They don't just go away. But now there seems to be this double pain because there's now an awareness and an eye opening to what's really evil and what's really bad. And so now we have this knowledge, this right knowledge of what's good and what's evil and there's this war within us. That's why Paul says in Romans 7, I see... I see that there's this war inside of me because the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing, and the things that I want to do, I end up not doing. Who will deliver me from this body of death? But he brings the good news through Jesus and the promise that one day you will get a new body. You will get a new body and all the passions of the world that come from the devil, come from the world, will be done away with and there'll be no more pain, weeping, no more tears. Everything will be made right. That's the hope that we hold on to now when we're still in the midst of this fight and this battle. You know, Romans 12, 2, this has been, this is like a counseling session in my mind. This is where the sermon comes from in my mind. Actually, this is nothing new. This is ACBC, Faith Ministries, the counseling uh, uh, culture knows this very well. But anytime I'm going to counsel someone who's coming to me with a problem, and normally the problem is I feel a certain way, I don't want to feel that way anymore. Or the problem is I'm doing something and I don't want to do that anymore. The hardest problem is someone else is doing something and I want them to stop. That's, that's when you, you can't really counsel that person. Maybe you help encourage them through it, help them learn what patience and endurance is. But most likely when someone's coming for counseling, it's I feel a certain way and I want to feel differently or I'm doing a certain thing and I want to act differently. Romans 12, 2 gives us the answer. Brothers and sisters, do not be conformed to this world. Don't turn into the world. Don't think, talk, act, and be the way the world is. But he says this, but be transformed. And I stop there because the transformation is what we want, right? I'm thinking a certain way. I, w- I want that to be transformed. I'm doing a certain thing. I want that to be transformed. I'm feeling a certain way. I want that to be transformed. But be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. The mind has to be renewed if the disobedience, if the sin is gonna be dealt with. The issue is the deception 
that we still all hold on to from the world. It's the worldliness that we still hold on to. It's the things about God that we haven't, we haven't agreed with him on. It's the faith that we're still not having. It's the areas of the scriptures that we ignore and we push out. Do you know what someone needs when they're, they come to biblical counseling? You know what really the solution is? It's like, it's time to sit down. It's time to think. You, I need to get in your mind. I need to understand what you're thinking in the moment that's leading to this. Oh, okay, yeah, you see right there? Well, no wonder you keep falling because you don't even think you can succeed in this. You think you're gonna be a slave to this your whole life. You think just because you desire it, you're always gonna be a slave to it. You believe that in those moments and that's always the thought you have right before you give in and so you give in because it's hopeless in your mind. That's not what scripture says. So let's, let's, let's look and see what scripture says. We gotta renew our mind with it. At the end of the day, it comes back to faith. God is saying through his word, believe me, trust me. And we're constantly in situations where we're being able to test that. Will we trust God? Do we trust God? Do we believe his ways, his purposes, his doctrine is best and good? Because it's not just the world that's going against this. It's the natural man. They, they, go, they don't have the discernment of the spirit yet. Even the church, it's constantly up against. Am I really cool with what God says? Am I really cool with what it says? I'll make excuses for it. I'll work away around it because ugh, I can't follow a God that would believe that or do that or expect that of me. As long as that's still in our mind, if we haven't surrendered our mind to the scriptures and seeking it out to study, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, we will continue to convince ourselves that leaving our spouse is right. Continue to convince ourselves that taking that next drink of alcohol is totally okay. Continue to convince ourselves that I can do all these substances. Continue to convince myself I can kill my kid. Continue to convince ourselves we can do all of these things in life because at the end of the day, it's what we want. And we're really good at convincing ourselves to do what we want to do. Why do I do what I do? Because I want what I want. Why do I want what I want? Because I believe what I believe will make me happy and satisfy me. Now, it feels like the moment where I say, let's pray. I can't end there. I can't end there. The wages of sin is death. But there's a dot, dot, dot there, is there not? The wages of sin is death. But what? The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me give you some more hope. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I'm gonna give you some more hope. The grace of God, Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Well, there's hope. Everyone can be saved. That grace, that free gift of God has come and everyone can be saved, but it doesn't stop there. There's a comma. The grace of God does what else? The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You know what that is? That's called a hope. That's called a promise from God that if his grace is in your life and you're letting it train you, that's a promise that the thing that you feel like you will be enslaved to forever, you can now in the present age be taught godliness and the ability to renounce the very things that are destroying you from the inside and waging war on your soul because you now have the spirit. It is not hopeless 
It is not hopeless, but it is not going to be through the law or through your own efforts and means that you're going to find victory over those things. It's going to be through the patient endurance of relying on the mercy and the grace of God every single day and getting back into the fight and letting him training you, being very acquainted with your weakness, being very acquainted with the enemy, understanding very well that every moment of your life, when that thing comes to your mind, that's really attacking God's word. You're going to bring that thought captivity to Christ. You're going to place it under the Christ. You say, no, this is wrong because I serve him. He's my savior. He's my God. But here's the good news. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. The mercies of the Lord are new every single morning. And yes, the wages of sin is death, but we have a good God and a great God who through his own choice decided to seek us within that and not leave us in the state of wrath that we rightfully deserved. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're here. I don't care if you're watching. There is hope. Always forgiveness. God will never put his arm up to you and not let you come in and find the satisfaction and the joy and the peace and the forgiveness that you need. His arms are always open. You come running to him. Yes, he already knows the things that you want. Yes, he knows that they're evil. Yes, he knows that you want them so bad that you're making excuses for them. Yes, he knows those things. And you know what? He even knows that you keep falling into it. That's why Jesus died. So that we would have an advocate between us and the father so that we would have someone we could come to constantly and find the peace and the forgiveness we desperately need. And it is a free gift that is extended to all men and women everywhere. So if you're listening, you know what's going on in your heart. You know if God is working, would you let him in? Maybe you need to renew your spirit. Maybe you need to renew your devotion. Maybe there's some things you need to spend some time just, God, I've been wrong. I've just been making excuses for this and spend time repenting over it. Maybe, maybe you've been trying to deal with the disobedience, the sin, and you haven't been dealing with what's been going on in your mind. You haven't been aware of the desires that you have. You're not speaking the truth about those things. You're not pressing into the truth of God. You're still trying to live in this understanding that comes from the world. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Grow in his love and his understanding. Let him grow you every single day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Heavy sometimes, but necessary. God, you told us through Jesus that men love darkness rather than light. We seek the darkness. We're comfortable there. We feel exposed in the light, but you tell us that everyone who comes to the light and is exposed prove that their works have been carried out by God. We know that you're working in us when we give these things to you and expose them in the light. We know that you're working in us. So would you do that, Father? God, would you help every single one of us that may be on the edge of the enemy pulling us over the ledge of death, on the ledge of trying to determine whether or not you're good, would you help us to not believe the lie? Would you turn us back, grant repentance, be merciful, be patient with us as you always are, And Father, help us to not believe a lie and be lights in this world, motivated by helping others that are trapped in the darkness still by their own passions and their desires to see that there is a better way, that what is good comes from you. I pray all of this in the great name of Jesus.